0: What up, world? It's your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. We're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked on Blazers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms, making it a part of your daily routine, make your first listen, tell your pals to do the same. Got a fun show for you today. Uh, the Blazers are not playing in the playoffs, but your boy I am watching a ton of playoff basketball, and it has me kind of thinking about the lessons we learn in the postseason, and both kind of like what that says about what you need to be, what what you need to have, and wh- what what type of team you need to be to have success in the postseason, and what the Blazers can do from where they are today with. You know, six, six pretty, pretty good players, and hopefully a healthy, healthy Damian Lowe coming back full force uh, to to be one of these type of successful teams. So we're going to talk sort of playoff lessons learned. Of the first couple games, most series, all series now, I believe, are at at, at two games. Not, not everyone, because uh, this is Wednesday's show, and we'll get the final game twos on Wednesday evening. But uh, you know, the majority of the, of the first round series are at two games, so we, we've seen most of the teams a couple times. And so let's talk about what we've kind of learned lessons learned from the first couple of games. The big lesson, like the first sort of big lesson for me is just the, the value of versatility. And I mean that in versatility, both in uh, shape like the ability to play big, the ability to play small, the ability to play you know to shapeshift and 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 have you know here's our best core players three you know three dudes are definitely going to be on the floor. Who can we who is the fifth or who is the fourth and the fifth that sort of make this thing work? And I'm thinking about that in uh the way Memphis bounced back against uh Minnesota. In the first game against against the T-Wolves, uh, they just didn't have the 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 Grizzlies just didn't have a spot for Steven Adams. They didn't know what he was going to do on defense. He was in the drop coverage, and they were just getting beaten just pull-ups because D'Angelo Russell and, and Anthony Edwards can do that, particularly Ant just ate him up when he was in a soft drop. Then they tried to bring him up high, and they get, he got ran past, and then they were putting him in pick-and-rolls with Cat, and Cat was taking advantage of him with his shooting and his versatility um, or his like sort of just scariness as a jump shooter with against a big. And so what Memphis countered was that – Stephen Adams didn't even last three minutes in game two. He played two minutes and fifty seconds. They yanked him. They played uh pretty much exclusively smaller with um mostly Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, but also, you know, go staying with it, staying with like a shooting smaller-ish five with Killian Tilly coming off the bench, et cetera. Like they they said our half court offense wasn't very good. And our defense wasn't—we couldn't stop them at all. Is there a way that maybe we can juice our half-court offense to make us just way, way better? And then if w- the trade-off is we'll still have a really good defensive player in in, in a trip in Jaron Jackson on the court, and as long as you know, as long as that is the case, then then we will live with it because we think we can bounce back and just play a much better game on offense. It'll open us up and it'll allow us to play a certain way on defense that we're more comfortable with. We don't have to like figure out a scheme for Steven Adams. That versatility really matters. Like that shape-shifting versatility really matters. Uh, Steven Adams really good. He's what makes the, the Grizzlies special. His In some ways, like during the regular season, his offensive rebounding, his screen setting, his passing, uh, really opened up a lot of them. I'm, I was not a believer in that trade, and he was great for him in the regular season. You get into this matchup, it's not good. They yank him. That versatility really, really matters. And then uh, the other thing I'm thinking about versatility is just scheme versatility being able to do a bunch of different stuff and I'm talking about this the way I looked at the way I watched uh, the Mavericks kind of give the, give the Jazz the business in game two uh, to, to split that series without Luka Doncic and mostly I'm, ta- I'm talking about the Mavs defense. The Mavs showed them everything the whole dang bag uh, they switch a bunch like that's their go-to move and they 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 too like so many teams do downsized a little bit uh, taking Dwight Powell out of there putting Max Kleber at the five and just living with switches but they didn't just switch they didn't say okay we've got a small switchy lineup this is going to be the thing we live and die by they played everything they played a little bit of drop coverage uh, every so often to just like show you know whether you drop the uh, drop the big man back and pick and, pick and rolls or kind of playing center field like lower than the screen and you can invite mid-range pull-ups and, and things of that nature the jazz typically killed drop coverage but uh, a little bit of it was sprinkled in in the right times like against Michael Conley who maybe. be isn't as aggressive for pull-ups as opposed to say a Donovan Mitchell. Although they played a little bit of it against uh, Don too, just to show them a different look. And then they mixed in a bunch of zone. And it's like that is that isn't necessarily like a lineup thing. That isn't shifting sizes or saying hey we can't play a traditional big. We need to go another direction. This was just it just scheme versatility, the, the ability to show a bunch of different defenses. Um, and I think that is real like if you're going to win in the playoffs, to being able to say okay they're tearing us apart part in our base coverage do we have anything else we can throw at him or hey we're gonna play our base coverage down the stretch because that's what we're best at but can we steal a couple possessions can we screw up the middle some some middle game possessions by showing them a different look can we show them a different look enough times you know hey let's play seven straight possessions of zone because we can we know we can win six of those seven possessions and that's great that's a you know we we win like that's almost 85% win rate like let's 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 give them something else Uh, chance billups I asked him about this during the during the season is like the Blazers played zone a bunch uh early in the year and they sucked at it because they were pretty much bad at everything in December. And I asked him like, why did you stick with it? Like, what did you see? Because they were just getting torched. Right. And he said, because he knows that from, and particularly from his time with the Clippers, the year, one year he spent as an assistant in the NBA prior to getting the Blazers job was like, that was really valuable. Having the zone in the bag was really valuable. So he didn't want to just try to introduce it late in the season. He wanted it to be part of what the Blazers did. Uh, And they leaned on it a bunch down the stretch with, um, as they put in the the sort of the tank the tank squad in there too but like he he appreciated that versatility now i don't think um the blazers play you know mostly they're going to uh, switch one through four and kind of have Nurk at the level of the screen and they were really aggressive uh, trapping pick and rolls and stuff like that but they didn't always you know and, and then everybody got hurt and we don't really didn't really see it but they didn't always trap pick and rolls like for the most part early in the season they did it more than anyone else they were as aggressive in their scheme as anyone else but they they sort of after Dame got hurt they weren't as aggressive in that and I think that's that's the kind of scheme versatility you want to see the Blazers I have no idea like what, what they're going to look like next season in a lot of ways um, we just got such a bad sample size of what Billups is like as a coach like whether he's I think we got a sense of what he wants to do but whether he can get the guys to do it I don't think we got a really good sense of but I think we saw some of that scheme versatility at least in his his uh, the way he prefers to do things and I thought I think that's valuable because when you get to this level when you get to this stage of the season when you get to the high preparation stage of the season, teams know what you're going to do and they know what you want to run so being able to do a couple different things has some real value. Alright, I, I got some other thoughts, some other lessons learned uh, we'll share those in the second segment but before we do that I want to tell you about Shady Rays it's the independent sunglasses company that's giving you the features of 200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Rays has a wonderful protection program, like the best that there is. Shady Rays includes lost and broken protection on every pair of glasses. They'll send you a brand new pair. If you lose them, no matter what happened, give them a try. And if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America. When you shop with Shady Rays exclusively for my listeners head to ShadyRays.com right now, use the promo code locked on, get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code locked on for their best deal of the season. 50% off of two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. All right, let's talk about some other lessons learned from the playoffs, shall we? Scheme, versatility, both in being able to play a couple different types of lineups, depending on who you play against, uh, and and like shape, versatility, scheme, versatility, really important. But you know the other thing I've noticed, the other lesson I've learned from watching the first playoff games, and I, I, I've known this, but I think this has sort of been hammered home by watching a handful of games, is that your weaknesses in the playoffs? They get weaker. They get weaker. If you're bad at something, they're going to find it. The level of preparation uh for playoff basketball is just it's just so much different than it is for uh for the regular season. And particularly now for the top teams, there or even the sort of middle seed teams that aren't affected by the play-in tournament, you have a week to prepare. You have a week off to kind of just like zero in on what what the other team does well and and tr- and try to Find what they don't do well and go get it. And I think that's really been, for me, one of the big takeaways from watching this uh, first round of the playoffs is that your weaknesses become so much weaker. We all kind of knew that the Jazz weaknesses perimeter defense. They just do not have perimeter defenders to keep the ball in front of them. And when they can't keep the ball in front of them, the strength of Rudy Gobert as this great help defender and anchor is totally neutralized. And we saw that in Game Two against against the Mavericks. Like this is the thing that the that the Clippers did to the did to the Jazz last year. It's the it's the thing that that ha, that the Nuggets did to them in the bubble. Shades of shades of Jamal Murray, shades of Terrence Mann. Uh, like you just the the Jazz do not have the perimeter defenders to keep the ball in front of them, and because they can't keep the ball in front of them, they can't keep the ball out of the paint. And then you're making this decision whether you're giving up a layup and. Or Rudy Gobert helps because he's going to be a natural helper and his man is going to be posted up in the corners for threes. And Maxi Kleber hit eight threes, wide open threes. I I believe I saw ESPN Stats and Info tweet from Tim McMahon, a reporter mostly based in Dallas, lives in Dallas. I don't know where he's based for work. Uh, But Tim shared a a, uh, a stat from ESPN Stats and Info that uh, eight of Maxi Kleber's or seven of Maxi Kleber's eight made three-pointers in the game were considered wide open. Like he just, he was, they were, Beat your man off the dribble, get into the paint, force help, kick. Get into the paint, force help, kick. And this isn't a scheme thing. Like, this isn't scheme versatility, right? Like, this isn't isn't the thing we talked about. There's like, there's only so much you can do if Michael Conley and Donovan Mitchell can't stay in front. If Bogdanovich can't stay in front. If Royce O'Neal can't stay in front. It doesn't matter. You're giving up. You're giving up. uh, If you're giving up, you know... No screen, just beat your man one on one drives. You're you're gonna get stuck in rotations. And if you're gonna get stuck in rotations for a team like the Jazz, a team that doesn't fly around and rotate, like as part of their natural scheme, you're gonna get burned. Um, anyone who can't keep the ball in front is gonna get burned, but the Jazz and their lack of perimeter defense, that weakness gets weaker in the playoffs. Jazz might still beat the Mavs. Like they they, they really might. Um they, their offense really cratered down the stretch, but that weakness on defense just is just glaring. You knew it was gonna happen. It happened in the last two postseasons and came back again in game two and it's like oh yeah this is still their bugaboo and it's still a problem uh I think the Raptors' lack of size, that weakness is is looks weaker now. And this was, you know, the Raptors were funky and weird and crazy, and their, their lack of size, just like someone to, not even who can guard Joel Embiid, because like no one can guard Joel Embiid. He's the best scorer in the league. Like he's just a force on offense. But just someone big enough that can foul out, can play 28 minutes and foul out. They don't have that. They don't have someone they can go to and foul out. The, that sort of, that lack of size, that lack of, of, uh, That that lack of a true center. I don't even think they would like a true center would really necessarily unlock what the real problem is for the for the Raptors, which is that they they're missing a little bit of half court juice. They need one more guy to have some more half court juice. Um, They've obviously have some injuries and it's it's hurting them and all that. Like uh, Gary getting getting sick and Scotty Barnes hurting his ankle. Like that's. that's part of it but just their you know their lack of size specifically like just can you look down the bench and find one dude who could go, like i said foul out in 28 minutes like that that's what they need they need someone to foul out in 28 minutes and they don't really have that uh, and that weakness is, is getting exposed a little bit because they just don't they they don't have a good way to handle what Joel Embiid is doing right now. Uh, they just they're just fouling him a million times and sending him to the line, um, and they're sending double teams and they're trying to do anything. But um, they're they're missing that. That is a weakness that is getting weaker. It, it always kind of seemed like this was going to come up for the Raptors, but it specifically came up quickly. I think a lot of people thought they might. They're just there. There's a general length and athletes would take care of it. But again, a little bit short-handed and it just. Consistent. Joel's Joel given him a problem. Um, I think one of the other weaknesses that we're seeing getting exposed is that Denver just doesn't have enough depth to hang. They won 48 games in the regular season. It's a real testament to how good Nikola Jokic was and how things change in the playoffs, right? You're not playing the freaking Warriors every night. So you can rack up some wins. And, and I think the, the Nuggets were good enough and they play hard enough and, and typically to to, you know, to just find ways to get to get wins and they might win a couple games in Denver and kind of change my opinion of them in this series but um, I think Aaron Gordon's been terrible uh, I don't think Monte Morris who, who's, who's a true blazer killer has really has has stepped up and I think um, you know Nikola Jokic has been kind of fine he just doesn't have the assist numbers are way down because his help isn't there um, they're the Warriors are just a different beast. Like they they look so good. They look championship level good. And the Nuggets look like a just kind of a normal ass playoff team and a normal ass playoff team against a, a championship level squad's getting rolled. And I think that's what you've seen. But the Nuggets lack of depth. The Nuggets lack of there's need another guy to have some offense. Another guy to be able to score. Another guy to go get a bucket. Like with any any level of reliability. People are like, What about Bones Highland? Well, if you're that far down the depth chart, now <laughs> (laughs) Last year, Bones Highland would have had like 27 in game three and ruined the Blazers season. But they're just playing a different animal and that lack of depth. Your weaknesses get weaker. It reminds me of how the Blazers, you know, under the Terry Stott seasons would just like classically end where it's like trap Dame because the guys behind Dame can't hurt us. Uh you know, you can get you get the ball out of his hands, you, you make uh nurk or whoever it might be into a decision maker and you swing out you spray out to the corners and if the corners are, you know, Moharkless and, and Alfred Camino come what may if it's Evan Turner come what may like I no, but no one was worried about that it was just like this is their weaknesses they don't have a way to they don't have a good way to counter traps I mean you can blame that on Damon and, and and Terry for sure um, certainly a coaching issue and, and in some ways maybe a Damon Lord stubbornness issue but like that's a coaching staff thing um, at, at least the third time it happened in the playoffs uh, that there wasn't like an obvious counter right away but like you you know your weaknesses get weaker and then as you play better opponents it's like oh yeah oh, th- these are glaring like we just we can't turn up to this level or they if they put the clamps on us in the way that, that we know they're going to we can't counter in the in um we don't have it because your weaknesses just get weaker in the playoffs i think uh, i think that that's my big takeaway uh, i got a final takeaway. It's about breakout stars. A little bit of happiness to end the show today. But before we get there, let me tell you about Bill Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. I'm eating Bill Bars pretty pretty regularly on the regular. Uh, I like them because they give you a little a boost to your blood sugar without being super sugary. Plus, um, you know, they're covered in 100% chocolate. They only got four grams of uh, four grams of sugar and and no more than four grams of net carbs. But it's they can give you a real boost because they're packing on average seven. 17 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories. So for me, I'm, I'm reaching for one because I know that they're going to like, give me that little sweet fix. I might need middle of the day, but then actually add some real fuel. Uh, I like cookies and cream peanut butter brownie. I also like salted caramel. I've been known to mess with the raspberries and uh, coconut almond, but whatever you like, you'll find flavors for you. Uh, all, types of, all types of treats on Built.com, plus limited time flavors, so make sure you're checking the website regularly. And while you're there, you can use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Still a pass for sports Still Mike Richmond, you are still listening to Locked on Blazers. So here's the lessons we've learned. Versatility matters both in shape and scheme. And your weaknesses get weaker because you're playing you're playing a just a better competition regularly with just a really high level of scouting. But the last lesson isn't even a lesson. The thing I love about postseason basketball is that. This is where stars are truly born. Uh, Some of that, and let me just be 100% on this. Like, let me keep it a buck for you. Some of that is just the failure of the NBA to market its regular season when there are tons of good games and great performances. But hey, the NBA put... Ant Edwards and John Morant on NBA TV tonight. Um, they don't know what they're doing. So whatever. Uh, granted, that was the worst game of the day. So maybe they do know what they're doing. The two games on TNT were both were both closer. But like, come on. You, the most the most fun player in the league, uh, buried on. Buried on NBA TV. This is classic NBA, but uh, I'll save my hating for the regular season because the the playoffs is about appreciating. And one thing I like about the playoffs, or what, like I, what I love about this, is this is where stars are born. It's where moments are made. Uh, the, my first year on the beat, the Blazers made the playoffs. Uh, they. Uh, I covered the previous playoff run, so I got a little bit confused about the timeline, but my first full year on the beat when I was like really doing this full-time, the Blazers played the Memphis Grizzlies in in the playoffs. It was LaMarcus Aldridge's final year in Portland, and CJ McCollum went nuts in the playoffs. Had 33 in Game 3. 33 in Game 2, rather. Like nuts and all of a sudden it was like oh this dude is like good good <laughs> like not just you know he's 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 doing this against one of the best defensive teams in the league like this is a this is just monstrous performance uh, Dave Yeager said we've got a CJ McCollum problem and they did and then CJ McCollum was a pro- basically a problem from that game forward he won most improved player he started averaging 22 a game uh, he's now on a, a eighth seed that's you know tied 1-1 with Phoenix uh, after a, a Devin Booker injury unfortunate Devin Booker injury in the third quarter um but that's why you get in the dance because anything could happen so uh like it's i love the playoffs because it's where it's where these moments are made and stars are born and i think you're you're seeing it with a couple guys Tyrese Maxey is is having one of those performances like you know James Harden's taking a step back on offense he took nine shots in game two nine field goal attempts in game two uh, eight free free throws So I guess 17 shooting possessions if you're into it but like Tyrese Maxey is becoming the other guy who scores a bunch at his age he's a blur in transition he's got real juice off the bounce and he can really shoot at an over 40% three point shooter and against a Raptors team that is swarming and crazy on defense he's the one exploiting the so much attention being paid to Joel Embiid he's the guy who's having the breakout moment, like he, this is Tyrese Max contracty, um, the, to, to use a terrible pun, like he's he's balling. And then on the other side, Jordan Poole is forcing the the Warriors to like bench Andrew Wiggins or or bench Kevon Looney and just play small. Like uh, the the Warriors have started the first two games with Steph coming off the bench Uh with a with he's still coming back from his foot injury, but. It's not like Steph Curry is going to be a sixth man because of Jordan Poole's breakout. Someone else is going, you know, Steph Curry is an all-timer. He's going to play. It is not, that's not a question. But Jordan Poole's going to have to start at some point. Jordan Poole's having these, that breakout special moments. And, and Jordan Poole's got swagger, man. Like, he is, he is not afraid of the moment. In fact, like, he took a, he caught one on the wing and took a, a, with Jokic kind of close to him and he faded into the right corner and hit a fading three and then flexed and then he caught one in the corner and in one motion threw an underhand left-handed pass to Nemanja Belica in the paint. He had a behind-the-back dime to Clay and transi- transition. Like, he's he's got flair. He's just bold. He's fearless. Dude played a bunch of games in the G League last season and now he's having this performance on this stage, 57 points in his first two playoff games combined. Uh, like, he's... He's putting up Wilt Chamberlain numbers. You're putting up Wilt Chamberlain numbers, you are bawling. And these are these breakout moments that define and make the playoffs so special. And so what I'm thinking watching youngsters, watching 22-year-olds go nuts is like, I want that for Anthony Simons. I want him to have this opportunity. Like, I'm not going to sit here. This is like, it's not what I do on the show, right? I'm not going to be like, the Blazers are going to win the championship. Although you see the sticker wrong, wrong hand right there. You see the sticker. Blazers are going to win the championship. Uh, like I know the slogan. Shout out to, shout out to my man, John. But uh, like, I want a first round series where Anthony Simons on the biggest stage in the NBA says, yeah, yes, yes. The thing you saw me do in February of 2022 is real. Like remember that January, February 60 day run where I was averaging, you know, 20 and uh, eight and a half or 20, whatever it was, 25 and eight and a half and shooting 45% from three. And I was like one of the great ones. I was putting up Kevin Durant ass numbers like for, for 45 days. I want that for Ann on this stage, um, and, I, and I've really been thinking about this watching Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole looks like Steph Curry Lite. Like he, his mannerisms, his off-ball movement, the way he, the way he um, gets into a shot so quickly, the way he's just so fluid with his, um, with the sort of catch, shoot, turn, find the rim type of Steph Curry, um, just potency. Amphrey Simons is a little, is little Dame light, like the side-by-sides that, that the Blazers put out on social media a couple times of, of Amphrey Simons, you know, sidestepping to his right and splashing, uh, splashing a three. That's Damian Lillard. I want to see Damian Lillard light on this stage. I've seen Dame go nuts. I saw Dame score 55 in one of the great offensive performances I've ever seen against the Nuggets. Let's not talk about how that ended right now. But, like, I want that for Ant. Um... I don't need it to happen in the Western Conference Finals. I need it to happen in you know chasing Larry O'Brien Trophy. I, I want Ant to do what what Tyrese Maxey and Jordan Poole are doing. I want him to have two good games to open the playoffs, and so the world can say, "Oh yeah, this dude can ball." Like because those moments matter. Those are these are fun. These are these are these are the times when young players step from, oh yeah, like real basketball heads know about him to like, oh yeah, this is one of the special ones in this league. Um, Simons is like, it's not going to be like prior to his contract like it is for Maxie and pool, right? It's not going to be the money making money making may as, as I've heard it referred to in the past when people go nuts in the second round, but like it's going to, I want that for Ant. I want him to have that chance because last year in place wasn't very good. Uh, he had he had a pretty he had an opening game one against against Denver. He was really good. And then he was not good in the final the end of that um end of that series. The roster didn't make sense for him. It wasn't set up for Ant to be good, right? Like there's too many guys in front of him. But he's going to have that chance. And I want the Blazers to get back to the playoffs for Ant to have that chance. To Ant to make a moment because these moments are fun. They're fun. Uh the, the playoffs are really special. They're my favorite time of year. Um and, and it would be Not having, you know, I've I've done this for eight years. I've I've this is the first time I've haven't experienced the Blazers in the playoffs. The first time I haven't been able to, to, you know, attend a playoff game, et cetera, et cetera. 'm I'm I'm, I miss it I want to get back to that atmosphere I want to get back to the fun and and um I'm gonna believe that the blazers can make a push I don't know how deep that push can be but I believe they're they could be back in the postseason making making special moments again and i I want that for them because these are these are these are really fun games and when you get to the biggest stage or the bigger stage in the league uh it's the the lights are brighter the mics are louder all of that um so so I'm yeah, let's let's see some breakouts from the Blazers in the future. Um, Simons did it in January and February. Let's see him do it in April and May. That is going to do it for today's show. Make sure you check back end of the week. We are going to have uh, Eric Griffith, uh, friend of the program, writer for the Willamette Week and uh, cap expert. We're going to lay out exactly what's going on with the Blazers' cap situation. Make sure you come back for that one. Make sure you tell your friends to do the same. If you're looking for us, you can find us wherever. You get podcasts and also on YouTube. Just search Lockdown Blazers. You will find us waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.